Hello and welcome to Abuse Isn't What You Think. I'm your host, Jackie Graybill. This episode was recorded as part of the online Trauma to Triumph Sisterhood Challenge. This episode features an interview with a guest expert and may refer to other guests or things that were said throughout the challenge. I didn't see you. Someone else wants to say hi. Hi. Hey, say hi Brandy. Say hello. Oh, it still blows my mind that you like dogs. <laughs> I, I know, right? You never would have thought. <laughs> I know. I knew you when you were like, I do not like dogs. <laughs> and yeah. now you've got one on your lap. So crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Things change. They do change. Yeah. yeah. For the um, better. For the better. Absolutely. For the better. Yeah. Yes. I remember on my first date with my ex, <laughs> who you know or knew, <laughs> I told him I do not like dogs, just so he would know because I was scared yeah. of them. But through therapy, I ended up getting rid of my fear of dogs. And now I have a little love. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's go. amazing. Because oh. <laughs> we would have done that, you would have missed out on so much. I think dogs are like the greatest gift that we have, honestly. I have to agree with you now, <laughs> and I never thought that's something I would ever believe or say. Yeah. But you're so right. You're so right. And I think that underscores something really cool. Even if we have this trauma journey, good can come out of it. Yeah. Yes. I've been listening to a lot of Maya Angelou lately. I don't know if I said it right, but she's amazing. Just amazing. And I was just listening to something and it was like, it's okay to go through defeats. I'm going to butcher it, but it's not okay to be defeated. But sometimes you need those defeats to find out who you actually are. And that resonated with me so much because in the moment we're like, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. But you come out of it and you're like, dang. I'm pretty tough. You realize what you can go through. And if you didn't go through it, you don't realize what you're capable of. I think that's huge, you know, and something beautiful always comes out of the dark, right? Absolutely. Even though we would never choose to go through those things. Yeah. We would never, ever like you have been through some crazy trauma girl that I know you would have never wanted to have to go through. Yeah. You were in a trauma space when we met actually. So how we met is crazy. This beautiful woman was my maid of honor at my wedding, actually. I was. <laughs> you were. It was amazing. What Craziest was wedding ever. I know. Beautiful, crazy, amazing. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. wedding, horrible marriage. But crazy wedding because there was a snowstorm and your dress was locked in the dry cleaner. And so you had to randomly borrow someone else's dress. I don't even remember whose dress that was. Your hairdresser, maybe? My hairdresser put out a thing on Facebook and somebody just responded. And they're like, hey, you can borrow mine from a failed engagement. <laughs> Should have known that was a sign. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Brandy, I met because my ex and I went to the Grand Old Opry to a concert and Brandy's mom 
was an usher and we met her on the intermission and started talking and I told her I was a songwriter and she's like you have to meet my daughter she's a songwriter too and I was like okay yeah whatever and then I met you I was just so blown away like intimidated (laughs) you're just so beautiful and so put together even though you were in that trauma space I think I met you when everything was very fresh and I was definitely in a space of healing yeah because I met you at the house I was living in when I went through all of that. Mm. So you met me at a time where I was thinking it's been a couple months. I should be okay. But when you look back, you're like, no, I was in the thick of it. I wasn't even like starting to understand what was coming for my life. And what was the trauma that you went through at that point in time? Yeah. So I actually lost the love of my life to a heart attack. The trauma now, when I look back, it was a lot of things, but just loss in general, losing somebody, but losing somebody at 33, that it's your person and everybody has issues and fights. But now when I can look back all of these years, it wasn't perfect, but he was my person. He was amazing. I find letters here and there and I'll just find things. And it reminds me that was actually my life. I had the most beautiful love story ever. And it was crazy. And it was wild and it was mine. I got a phone call one day, March 2nd from my mom and the trauma of losing him. But then also I still carry that trauma of that phone call now, like eight years later. And she just said, Myrick is dead. And it's so crazy because it lives in our cells, that trauma. And I feel it even still when I get a call from her and it's unexpected, I go back to that moment. I see mom cell and it doesn't happen all the time, but always there's this instinct. Is everything okay? Is everything okay? Please don't tell me bad news. I met you maybe two months after that happened. And you were writing songs like crazy during that time, right? You were just uh, writing out that trauma in a sense as you were healing. Yeah. My dad is a singer songwriter. I grew up with music. I'm in his music room. I'm actually living with my parents again. And we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later, but I grew up with music and I always sang with my dad and I dabbled with it. But what I realized was, and I give props to you and people that have been doing it your whole lives. It takes a lot of work. It takes self-discipline and it takes time. It's the opposite of instant gratification. (laughs) And I just didn't have that discipline growing up. I gravitated more towards things that were easy and didn't take diligence and work ethic and effort. That's something that I had to learn as an adult. And it's incredibly satisfying once you figure out hard work that pays off is really satisfying. But I didn't have that. Music was always in my life, but I didn't pursue it per se. And I didn't realize how important it was to me. I think I even took it for granted just because my dad did it and it was just around me and I'd sing a little here and there, but I didn't ever really dive fully in. And then he died. His name was Myrick. I've been plant-based for 11 years now. I was a huge health nut. I was working out. I was an actress. I thought these are the things that are important to me. And I loved music. I would turn on a song or something and it would just penetrate my heart. And I always knew when I heard music, I'm like, oh, secretly I want to do that, but I just didn't. And then he passed away. And literally I would have never guessed it was the thing that saved my life. There was nothing else. Nothing else could 
gave me peace. Nothing else could fix it. Nobody really understood. My parents were amazing, like phenomenal for me through this. They're already phenomenal. I happen to have the best parents in the entire world, but nobody could fix it. And time was a very strange thing for me at that point. So I gravitated towards music and it literally kept me sane. And that didn't happen immediately because Myrick was a singer songwriter and a piano player and very talented. So when he first passed away, I didn't want to do music because it reminded me of him. There was about three weeks. Time is a very strange thing at that point when you're going through that kind of grief. But there was about three weeks where I couldn't do music. I didn't even want to look at a guitar. I was in and out of reality and not reality. I can't even explain it. It was the strangest thing of my life. It was almost as if I was drowning for a long time. I couldn't understand the concept of the future or anything past the moment that I was in because I was in so much pain. This is how my music journey started. It wasn't just like he passed away, grabbed the guitar. I had to accept that he was gone and give it to God. So that took form in a friend of mine came over. Her little brother had passed away a few years before. I had known her for years and years. And she came over and read to me, heaven is for real. I've never shared this story. I don't think actually like this, I've shared it with people I love. (laughs) The more time that goes on, the more I realize it's so important to use your voice. And it's so important to share your story with Maya Angelou. I was just watching and she was doing an interview and she said, you could be the last person I ever talked to share your truth. You have an opportunity you're given this voice and your story for a reason. So I've hidden, as you know, for a really long time. And I just feel free now. It's a great time. She came over and she read to me, heaven is for real. And I wasn't really coherent. I wasn't really absorbing any of it for most of the time she was there and she was just reading. And I don't know where I was, but it was like, I was just drowning. And for some reason, if you've ever read heaven is for real or seen the movie or anything, It's amazing. I feel like I was in a constant battle with God for really most of my life. Honestly, I'm a Leo. I'm very prideful. I feel I've got this. Everything I have in my life is because of me. And I've always, until this happened, had an arrogance of I'm the creator of my world. And that's true to a certain extent, but at the same time, it's not, it's God. I believe that a hundred percent. So I was like, I'm good. I don't need God. And there was just this moment in the book. I don't know why, but it resonated with me. I don't remember exactly what she said, but something penetrated my heart. It made me believe that there's more. I always grew up Christian, but I just was in a fight with God. Like I just didn't let him in. And in that moment I did. And in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, this little boy met his baby sister in heaven and came back, was revived and told his mom about it. Something in me was like, oh my gosh, it's real. And Myrick is not gone. It's a really hard thing to accept death when you feel like that's it. Someone that you love that you were sitting next to the day before and couldn't love more is now just cold, gone in the ground. 
But when you realize that's actually the most beautiful journey that we get to take and that now he's forever here, there was just something that changed in me and a light bulb went off and there was just a knowing my girlfriend, Michelle must've seen it happening, the change. And she just grabbed me and we just held each other and we cried it felt like God literally just put a warm blanket over me and just soaked me in the knowing that everything was going to be okay and that I would have peace. And from that moment on, I had peace. And I knew in my gut, I was like, I'm very aware that this is not going to be easy. I'm very aware that the hardest days of my life are in front of me. And healing is going to take time but there was just this knowing that I was going to survive for the first time in three weeks in a sea of feeling like I was literally drowning and slowly dying so the contradiction of that was just amazing she left and then I just kind of sat outside in the sunshine by myself it was the first sunny day And it had been raining the night that he passed away and rained and rained. And that day it was sunny and beautiful. And I heard God very clearly. And it's so weird because I would have never been the person to talk like this, but he saved my life. Go get your guitar. And I was like, what? Go get your guitar. I was like, okay, I'm not going to argue with you, you know, but why? And I went and got my guitar and I wrote, I surrender. I mean, I'd written a little bit here and there. I wrote a song for my dad for Father's Day years before, and I dabbled. I kind of knew how to play guitar, not that I do now, but well enough. I knew three chords, but I didn't know how to finger pick. And this song called I Surrender just poured out of me. It was just there and finger picking. And the whole. I was like, where is this coming from? That was my start to doing music and letting that be a tool. And I look back at that. I'm so grateful because that was a gift that God gave me. It was like, go get your guitar, which set me on this path to using music to heal. And also recognizing that actually this is a huge part of my soul and who I am. And I would have never sat in a room. And I think for the next six months ish, I sat in a room by myself and played guitar and wrote songs. And that was literally the only thing that gave me comfort that I wanted. And that was how I got through it. But first and foremost, it was God. It was saying, I surrender it to you. I give it to you. The lyrics are, I can't do this on my own. Everything I thought I knew was wrong. Please God, take your hands and heal my broken heart. I want to live my life for you. Show me where to start. That was the number one thing was just saying, you have a bigger plan for my life. Guide me. I will obediently follow what you want for me. And I still have to remind myself of that. Now I have to give it to God and we're humbled. I think over and over again in our lives, but yeah, God and music got me through that time. Then I had an angel that would send me messages and make it very apparent that I was not on my own, that he was there and guiding me and miraculous things that happened that he, that Myrick sent me. So even from heaven, I felt, wow, he loved me. Mm -hmm. I'm super loved. (laughs) Yeah. 
Wow. Oh, that's such a beautiful story, Brandy. Heartbreaking, poignant, bittersweet, but just amazing. And how you responded as well, because you heard this voice saying, grab your guitar. You could have easily been like, screw you. (laughs) You took him away. If you're like, okay, this is God. And and you chose instead to lean into that. And in the place of all your pain, you had this beautiful tool that was given to you to give you all this peace and a way to process what you're going through. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I read a lot about how people handle grief and things like that. And we turn to something when it's grief or trauma, we turn to something to cope, to get through it. And a lot of times that is drinking, right? Or food or dating people we shouldn't be dating or just doing things in the negative. I don't know why mine was the opposite of that. I think I've always just had an innate desire to make a difference and to be a light and be positive because of the light that I've been given growing up. A lot of people will say, I can't believe what you've been through or that you're still so positive. But even though I experienced that tragedy, the good that I've had in my life, 10 million times outweighs that. I've been the luckiest human being to have my mom and dad. So not going to (laughs) cry. Oh, and I can second that about your parents because you and them have been a huge part of my healing journey. I remember the day I realized that I had to leave my ex. Yeah. And I think I called you or sent you a text message and I was like, I'm leaving. Like, can I come stay with you? And you were out of town. I think I told you to, I think I was like, go to my parents. (laughs) You totally did. And that's that's where I lived for five weeks until the crazy thing happened with him showing up at the melting pot at the restaurant and me going to the shelter after that. But your parents were such a huge blessing for me. They're so nurturing. It's a nurturing space that they create in their environment and in their home. And it was such a huge gift to me. Yeah. They're just open. They've never, if I've wanted to have a friend for Thanksgiving that didn't have a family or four, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) didn't have their family for Thanksgiving or a friend in need. You're one of many that have taken shelter at my parents' home. And I think because of that, what I've been given, how can I complain? I have been able to handle the things in my life because I carry them with me. I know that they've always got my back. And so everything will always be okay because of the love that they've poured into me for my whole entire life. They're amazing. They are. They're incredible. They're your beautiful safety net, right? Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. And music has played an interesting role in another trauma that you went through. (laughs) You played a huge huge part of. Yeah. Your sister, Jennifer, she lived with me. She was a roommate with me for a while. And she always said when she lived with me and like, I kind of told her my story of how I left California. My mom and dad left me. Actually, we were living in California. They bought an RV and traveled across the country and ended up in Nashville. I was like, I'm not going to Nashville. I'm staying in LA. I'm an actor, whatever. And eventually I missed them so much that I ended up moving here. And 
got engaged to my boyfriend that I was with for like seven years around that time and met Myrick right after that. And just my whole story was pretty incredible. Your sister always used to be like, I'm going to write a book (laughs) about your life because it's so crazy. My love story alone was just so insane and so beautiful and then losing him. So fast forward, I didn't date anybody. I actually was given that gift of music. And then I was inspired because he died of a heart attack. I'm plant-based and I had just gone to school to be a plant-based nutritionist and was teaching Zumba and fitness classes and all kinds of stuff. So after he passed away, my passion for that became magnified. And I felt like this is my purpose. Music, I wrote that song, I surrender. I wrote other songs that touched people that had gone through the same thing. And I thought this is important to share. And it's important because someone somewhere needs to hear it. That was shown to me where people would just be like, I listened to this six times on the anniversary of my child's death. And I'm like, okay. I think as artists, we're always scared to give our music away. It's scary. But a wise friend once said to me, it's no longer yours. Once you write it, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It's not about you. It's not an ego thing. It's your obligation to give it away. And that helps you let it go a little bit easier. It's not about you. But I was super passionate about music, but also health and nutrition. I used that and I started working out like crazy six days a week, got my certification to be a personal trainer and dove into me and like really taught myself at that point, self-discipline and hard work. I got in really good shape. I formed a duo with one of my favorite people, Pete Salas, and we worked on music. We wrote an album. I was just in a season of, I'm not going to date anybody. I'm going to work on me. I'm going to grieve. I'm going to do what I need to do right now for me. So I didn't date anybody for about four years. And as luck would have it, (laughs) when I finally dated somebody, I don't know if because it'd been so long since I was in the dating world or my picker was just off. You know, we tend to blame ourselves, but actually this type of person knows exactly what they're doing, especially for somebody that was wounded. I have to say you were the missing key for me, the missing piece to what was going on with this relationship. Myrick was an amazing photographer and he had a phone call one day and he was like, Hey, this guy, actually, I probably shouldn't go into detail because I don't even want to give him like, you know, this is not about you, but the story of how I knew this guy was really crazy, really interesting. And I started dating him and he ended up being totally emotionally abusive. I in a million years would have never thought I would end up there. I'm a strong woman. I'm independent. I'm not meek. I'm not shy to say what my needs are. I would tell you, I would be the last person before this happened to end up in any kind of abusive relationship. I grew up with a strong foundation of family. I wasn't looking for something to fill my heart. I met a guy that knew exactly what to say and exactly what to do to get me to a place of questioning everything about myself. I think that really speaks to the myths that are out there about 
the kind of person that's in that type of relationship, but they look for people who are successful. They don't necessarily look for somebody who's down and codependent and whatever. You were the opposite of codependent because you were like, I'm good with me for four years. I mean, that's totally the opposite of the myths that we hear of the type of person that gets into that type of a relationship, because you're absolutely right. They know what to do. They know what to say. They know how to make themselves into the perfect person for you. It's so insidious. It's so insane. And it's so scary. They definitely know. And it's like, they're looking for the crack in the armor and they make you feel comfortable enough that you can give that to them. And I did. And so for four years, I worked on me and there's something that comes with working out and taking care of yourself and feeling like you're in the best shape of your life. And you built that. And that's where I was. I was in the best shape of my life. I was feeling really good about myself, but also protecting myself because there's this fear when you've lost somebody that, you know, if you open yourself up again, that you could lose them too. And so he made me feel comfortable talking about it. And he was very emotional and connective. And when you think of an abuser, this is the last person you think of sensitive and would cry. But you introduced me to a book that absolutely changed my life and everything I know about relationships. That's Lundy. How do you say Lundy Bancroft? Yep. Lundy Bancroft. Uh, Yes. Why does he do that? Yeah. Why does he do this? Or why does he do that? Yeah. And I must have listened to that 10 times. And you told me that something was wrong. He broke up with me on New Year's Eve for nothing. And I couldn't understand it. You love this person so much. And then they use that to just break you down. Then you're like, I don't even know what I did. And it's just the most manipulating thing that I've ever been through. I've never felt so low in my life. And he broke up with me on New Year's Eve. And I remember now looking back, I had made it so clear that New Year's Eve was this really important day to me. And I hadn't had somebody on New Year's Eve in four years. And I remember we were watching a movie and I was like, I'm so excited to spend New Year's Eve with you. I haven't had a New Year's Eve in four years. And New Year's Eve is my favorite celebration because I was engaged on New Year's Eve, the best day of my life. And it's on video. The most special moment that I've probably ever had was the day that Myrick proposed to me and he'd seen the video and it was just this amazing thing. And every New Year's, actually, I locked myself away for four years and I would stay home on New Year's Eve and I would do a vision board of what I wanted the following. I didn't go out. I didn't party. So I was just like, I'm so excited to have you on New Year's Eve. And he broke up with me on New Year's Eve. Now I look back. Of course he did. Of course he did. That would be the thing that hurt me the most. So I called you and I came over and we walked down the street and watched the fireworks and the whole thing. But I remember you telling me I was reading the things that he was messaging me and he was just so mean and I couldn't understand it. And you telling me, I think that he's emotionally abusive. And I thought, no, he's not. Didn't I say, no, he's not. He's not. He can't be. You're projecting. That was my thought is you're projecting. You were not projecting. You were a hundred percent on the money, but you don't know because you're in this mind manipulation. And it sounds weak, but it's true. I wasn't a weak 
girl. No, you, know? you were yeah. not. You were not. And there was something else that had happened previous to that. Um, oh, she- yeah, the photo shoot. So one of my other friends in Nashville that was one of my bridesmaids, she was having engagement photos that you did. And you asked me to come along and help. And then he showed up as well, this guy that you were dating. And it was something that he said to me or just something. I don't even know if I registered it internally in my brain logically, but something about it just hit me. And I just got so triggered because I was still in my healing journey as well myself. And I just was like, I don't know why, I don't know what, but I just started tearing up and I literally had to leave. And after that, I was like, I think this person might be abusive. And then later I was like, maybe I got it wrong. But then on New Year's Eve, I was like, of course. And I think it just underscores how in our body we know sometimes Yeah, we can get that and we can discount it sometimes because it doesn't make sense logically, but our body knows. I remember even when you left and you were triggered, I thought, This is just, you're in that healing. So that's you just being triggered because it's so fresh and we're like a mile from your ex's house. I remember telling you that like we're close to his house. I was trying to convince you because I didn't think I was being abused, but yeah, you definitely felt it. And looking back a hundred percent, it was absolutely dead on. And you don't know, or no women would be abused. That's what I learned. No woman starts dating some guy and they go on the first date and then he hits her, right? Abusers are the most, in his case, he wasn't that charismatic, but sensitive. He was sensitive. That's what I liked. He was sensitive and kind and he understood and he was gentle. And then I listened to Lundy Bancroft and it was like, there's however many types. And that was the moment for me that I was like, that's him to a T. It was like seven different types or something of men. And they were very specific. And when it talked about this specific type, it literally described things he had said to me verbatim. Like he wrote lists. He would keep lists of everything that was wrong with me and email them to me when we got into a fight. And it said that, I think it was Mr. Sensitive. Yep. That sounds right. That's what I was thinking. There's Mr. Sensitive and there was something else, but it literally described him to AT. And I had to listen to that on repeat to wrap my mind around what I was actually in. And then from that moment forward, everything made sense. Every time he would text me, I knew the game at that point. That book is like a roadmap to understanding their crazy mind. It gave me the strength to be done with it, you know? And it wasn't a straight line either, right? It wasn't like, okay, this New Year's Eve thing happened. Okay, he's abusive. I'm done. Which is so, I don't want to say common, but it's universal, I feel like. Oh, yeah. In your experience of trying to extricate yourself from a relationship like that. So what happened? I think it isn't the average. It's something like it takes seven times or something before a woman will finally leave. Yep. Seven attempts. Uh, Seven attempts. Yeah. I think it was like three for me, but I think the reason is I had already been through so much in my life with loss that I was just like, I deserve better than this. And I'm not going to waste any more time. It was coming between my parents and I. And when you say your body knows, it definitely knows because after the new year's thing, I still wasn't convinced that he was abusive. And that's such a strong word, right? Abusive, because you think of somebody that's like, beating you up, but the mental is 
really hard because you can't explain it. You can't just be like, he hit me to your friends. Thank God my mom already knew. My mom's spidey senses, she never liked him. She just knew. My dad thought he was a nice guy. Like no one else thought, but moms, no. So shout out mom. I love you for that. I didn't just stop talking to him. It didn't believe it. It took me time. It took me time to get the book. I think you told me a million times, get this book, get this book. And I finally got the book and then I didn't listen to it. And then when I did, I listened to like a chapter. So it took me time because I didn't understand how important that was to my life. It literally changed the trajectory of which way I went. Who knows if I'd still be in it? Probably not, but it was horrible. So yeah, that wasn't a straight line. And it took me, I think we got back together three or four times and it was horrible. And we had broken up, had a huge fight, but your body knows this is so interesting. I think I told you about this when we were still together towards the end of the relationship. I realized that I had this strange feeling in either my esophagus or like at the top of my chest. And I didn't know what it was. And people are like, is it your heart? And I'm like, I'm vegan. I don't have to worry about that. It's not my heart. It's something like in my throat, almost just this pressure. And so I wouldn't say too much about it. And I kept it to myself. And then the hypochondriac in me was like, cancer? What is it? And it went on for months and it wasn't getting any better. It was only getting worse. And I told him about it and he would put his hand there and be like, I'm giving you good energy and like whatever. And so it wasn't getting any better. It was getting worse and worse. And I remember one night I was with him and I was laying in bed and the, the feeling was so intense. It wasn't pain. It was like pressure or something, almost like there was just a massive lump in my esophagus or something. And I didn't want to wake him up and say something, but I remember thinking, am I going to have to go to the hospital? It was really bad. And so finally I told my parents, cause you don't want to worry if it's nothing, you know? And I told my parents and I didn't have health insurance and it finally got to the point that I'd lived with it for so long that I was like, I think I have to get this checked. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. It feels like at every moment there's like this lump in there. So I went and got it checked. And the day before I went to get it checked, I was with him, I believe, or around that time. And we woke up and we ended up getting into a huge fight. And this is very typical of an abuser. We got into a huge fight because he was having a pain in his back and he exploded. He was like, I didn't want to tell you about it because you're going through what you're going through, but it's very common that they need to have something. You can't be sick without them being sick. You can't have a positive without them having a positive. They always need to have the attention. So if you're not feeling well, you're the problem and they also don't feel well. And it's, why is it never about me? And so it was a huge fight. And he's sort of crying as I have this pain in my back and blah, 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 blah. And so clearly things were not great. Right. <laughs> so I go to the doctor. I don't have health insurance. If you know me, I'm frugal. I would never go pay a couple grand for a procedure if I didn't think something was really serious. So I go and I do that. And he wanted to go with me and my parents. And my mom was like, no. So he didn't, they put me under and they do a scope and they check. And I'm telling you, things have got to be really serious for me to spend that kind of money on a procedure. Okay. Coming out of anesthesia and I'm waking up and the doctor says to me, and I'm like, 
out of it, calls my mom, lets her come in. And he says, there's nothing there. Everything is perfect. Everything looks normal. I sent in some cold, some whatever, just to make sure, but it's perfect. Everything looks great. And me out of anesthesia, not fully in consciousness. I said, well, then I know now that I definitely need to break up with my boyfriend. And my mom was like, I knew right? I knew. And I barely remember saying that, but I remember the doctor saying something to me later. And I was like, oh, I did say that. My body knew, my soul knew that he was the cause of this pain. But what I really knew is I got asked to sing on a cruise. We had broken up, but he was still, he lived a mile away. So I couldn't really escape him. I put cameras around my house, but I went on a cruise to Alaska with my parents and I sang on this cruise And I remember my aha moment. I was like two days in, a couple thousand miles away from Nashville. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, my mom's like, what? And I'm like, it's gone. The pain, this thing that I've been feeling for months and months is completely gone. And I just started crying. And I realized it's gone because I'm 2000 miles away on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean and he can't mess with me. So that was huge life lesson for me. Listen to your body. Ask yourself, what does this really mean? Take time away and meditate on it. Pray about it. Because that was my body saying, get away. You're not safe. My body was literally making me sick. So I would figure out that this person was toxic for me. So yeah, that's pretty huge. You know, little insight, the, the body telling you. Yeah. Your body does tell you. Did I ever tell you my story with that? I have a I scope story too. I have... <laughs> so I dated a guy when I lived in Seattle for nine months and I got sick with a mystery illness. I was nauseous all the time. I couldn't eat. I lost so much weight. I got down to 112 pounds. Nothing would fit in the junior's department store. It hurt to sit because I could literally feel my sit bones. That's how skinny I got. And they did a scope, same thing, trying to find out what was wrong. Oh, nothing's wrong. And then a week after we broke up, it went away. (laughs) it's crazy how much our bodies know and how much has been attributed for females, especially with all of the diseases and the different things that we can go through as a result of these relationships. There's a doctor named Christian Northrup. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's a woman's doctor. And she read this book about energy vampires, which are the type of people that we're talking about. And she talks about all the things that she has seen women for with all these different conditions that they all stem back to this relationship. Well, it's known that stress just in general, even not in an abusive relationship can make you sick. So purposeful stress or someone, like you said, an energy vampire, someone taking your light and being terrible to you. Yeah, I believe it a hundred percent. And then they leave the relationships and they're better, right? Yeah. 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 They heal, maybe not right away, but way better than when you were in that. Because like you said, you can only live in stress for so long. And that's that being on eggshells all the time before it's going to show up in your body. Yeah. And that's exactly what it feels like eggshells. 
I was just always careful to not upset him. And even things that I thought, like we had a beautiful dinner and it was a great night and I was so happy would come out in our next fight that he hated every part of it. And I didn't put the knife in the proper drawer and I cut the celery too small. And like, what? (laughs) It's just insane. It's insane. I feel bad for the next girl. That's all I have to say. Oh, absolutely. And the rules that they make and how it doesn't come on at the beginning, because if you went to dinner on a second date and he was making all those comments about you, you would be like, bye. Yeah. It's over time when they gain your trust and they find out what makes you tick. For me, it's my parents. And he figured that out really quickly. I give that away. And so he used that. He did nice things for my parents and went above and beyond. They make you believe by figuring you out that you are soulmates, right? And so you don't want to leave your soulmate when you've built this connection with someone over months and months and months. And they figure out what makes you tick and what you love and they do nothing but that. And then you're convinced you're like, oh my gosh, you love my parents. You love my dog. You are plant-based too. You care about health. We're going to sing together. We're going to write music together. We're going to change the world. We're going to make a difference. If I'm ever going to date somebody again, that's what I want. And it's perfect. You're soulmates. They tell you you're soulmates. And then they break you down because you're like, this is my soulmate. You know, I don't want to lose this. And also maybe you're the perfect person and there's something flawed about me. There's got to be something flawed about me and they find your insecurity and send you emails about them. Yes. And like you said, it's so much to leave. It's your whole future in front of you that you had planned, right? Because when somebody's your soulmate, you can see it. You can see the future so clearly exciting. It's awesome. So when these things start to happen and it starts all crumbling, As a normal person, not an abusive person, you're automatically going to look to yourself and say, okay, what can I do to help make this better? Yeah. I can't let it go. Yeah. Got to make it work. That was the hard part for me as I thought, this is my soulmate. I'm failing. This is my person. And I even thought maybe Myrick sent him to me. And that was super hard, especially that I'd gone through things. He used that too. He knew, you know, like Myrick this and that he was the person for me. And that's what Myra would want. And yeah, they're really good. They're really good. They are. I know I married one. (laughs) Yeah. Although I feel like it's always easier to look at somebody else's circumstance and see all the dynamics of what's going on with them. I'm sure you probably saw at certain points (laughs) what I was going through with my ex and, you know, and while you're going through what you're going through, I'm sure you never thought oh, this person is like Jackie's ex at all because they're so, they're so different. They come in such different packages, personality wise. And I never thought your ex was abusive. I just thought he was obnoxious. Sorry. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. I did your photo shoot and I couldn't get him to like, I didn't see what you saw. And people said that to me too about mine. I didn't think abusive. I just thought he is just the pain and difficult. So you just don't know, you know, until, you know, I guess. (laughs) Absolutely. And it goes back to, you never know what somebody else is going through. Because they mask it so well, and then you get it. And then they don't, I don't think, believe it. Now I can see it, how you saw it with me. Like I can see it with certain friends and I'm like, 
that's not good. And it's hard because you want to tread lightly, right? You don't want to, I'm just always like, get the book, please listen to the book, please listen to the book. But ultimately people have to get it on their own too. And you just hope that it's not too late, which is a scary thing to say, but it's real. Women are being abused and murdered all the time and it's terrible. Yeah. I think that it's important that we have this conversation, that this conversation comes up more. And I think a lot of people don't realize how important it is or that women put themselves in this situation. And I thought that you got to be strong, but I'm strong. You're strong. And we ended up there. So I think it's an important conversation to have. I think there's a stigma around it that needs to continue to be talked about. Men and women have it, the stigma that like, you're weak if you end up in this situation. And it's just not true. It's not true. It's not true at all. And I think you're right. We need to continually talk about this. So maybe someone will recognize themselves in what's being talked about, especially because the things that they do in isolation, if you don't see the whole pattern seem like, oh, they're just being a jerk or, oh, everybody fights or, oh, whatever. But it's the whole pattern you have to look at. Yeah. And the longer you stay, the harder it is to leave. Yeah. It's like, we know women are abused. We know that men hit women, but we don't talk much about the emotional abuse side of it and the mental abuse. And if we do, I just don't think people take it seriously, but that's also where it begins. When I listened to that book, why does he do that? By the end of the book, I was scared. And maybe he would have never hit me. I say I wouldn't have allowed it. That's how I feel, right? I'm sure every woman that's ever been hit says I wouldn't have allowed it. But you listen to that book and you're like, oh my gosh, it begins here and then escalates and it escalates. And they clearly have triggers. They clearly have anger issues or you don't treat people. You don't want somebody you love to feel small and you don't want to control. And so often that turns into, unfortunately, the loss of someone's life. So it starts with the emotional abuse and the mental abuse and turns into more. And it's Mm. so scary. I think it's important to talk about. Oh, absolutely. The thing I've realized is the physical is actually just a symptom of all the other things that are going on underlying. And in addition to the emotional, there's a term called coercive control. Have you heard that term before? It's not well known in the US. It's starting to be, but it's well known in the UK. And it was coined by actually an American professor. And he talks about coercive control as the base of everything related to abuse and how that is their reason for doing everything is to control. Yeah. To control and entrap you. It's really a liberty crime as he describes it. And it's actually illegal now in the UK and in the US states, yeah, states are starting to make it illegal too. And I wouldn't be surprised if eventually there's a federal law about it. This is what I did my dissertation on in my master's. So I'm so passionate about it. I went into my master's too saying, okay, emotional abuse is at the base of everything, but really it's this broader picture of control and the fact that that's all they want. They want to be in control. He wanted to be in control of you. 
He wanted to control how you chopped celery. He wanted to control whether or not you got sick. He wanted to control how you think about things. It makes it's sense, crazy. but it's, yeah. Cause why would you want to control somebody? But it's a different frame of mind because you want power. Yeah. And that's the reason that you would take a life is because you want power. You feel powerful. And that's the scary thing. I have been watching all of these crime shows with my dad now that I'm living at my parents' house and we won't get into that, but I'm living with my parents right now and it's been a blessing, but I've been watching all these crime shows and it's so scary because, and my dad said it too. It's like most of the time it's the husband and it's horrible. A woman is murdered and the first person they look at is the husband. And most of the time it is, which is awful to say, but it's reality, right? It is. Yeah. There are around a thousand women a year in the U S that get murdered by their abusive male partner, a thousand. And the crazier thing is this, if you had said, okay, 2001, September 11th happened. Should I enlist and go fight in the military or should I stay here with my partner? You are six times more likely to have died by the hands of your male partner over the course of the Afghanistan war than to go off <laughs> to war. <laughs> Isn't that insane? It's just so insane to me. That makes me want to date. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Well, it's like 20% of the general population have a cluster B personality disorder where they engage in the cycle of abuse. 20%. And, and you 40 never know it. Yeah. And 40% of the general population have been abused in a relationship with that other 20%. They go from one person to the next person to the next person. So it's really the minority of society that haven't experienced it or aren't an abusive person. Wow. Isn't that insane? It's insane. I never thought it would be me ever in a million years. Honestly, I think of a woman that's been abused and I think of somebody that didn't have a strong family foundation and maybe didn't have a good dad and is looking for, you know what I mean? We both had amazing dads and families and it's just not the truth. They know what they're doing. They're really good. They do. Yeah. So that's why it's important, like you said, to use your voice. Like yeah. my Angelou talks about just the importance of speaking our stories and telling what we've yeah been through. And it's easy to feel embarrassed by what we've gone through. It's easy to feel like, oh, why do I need to, but there's such power in it. Like the me too movement saying, okay, I've been through that too, because it's easy to feel alone yeah. when we're dealing with it. Like nobody else has ever dealt with somebody like this. And yeah. so many people have, I think it's also just super important that women are speaking right. And hearing each other. I see comments on Facebook. Another woman will say I was whatever by this person and come out. And I see these comments from men that are just horrible. And they're like, yeah, right. You know, they don't believe it and stuff, but half the time I'm like, yeah, you'd be the type of dude that <laughs> would be doing it. But I think it's so important for women to support women. I think that's just so important because we need to stand together and say, it's not going to fly. It's not going to go under the radar anymore. We're going to stand behind each other and be a voice for the other person. And you are heard and you are seen and you're not doing this alone. 
preach, preach your brandy. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And just like with the Me Too movement, changing the expectations of what is acceptable, things are going to begin to change until people talk about it. And until yeah. we decide that this is no longer acceptable behavior in any form, even if it's behind the walls of your home, this is not yeah. acceptable behavior. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think it has been okay for a long time. You know, it's just women are too sensitive and maybe complain too much and it's not that serious. And then they end up dead. I feel like honestly, every single woman needs to read or listen to why does he do that? Every single woman, whether you've been abused or you haven't been abused, because even if you haven't, someone you know is or has. I think that's one of the books that they should have in schools. We're not talking about this. I agree. I think that if we had both read that book, maybe things would have been different with our relationships. Yeah, I think you're right. You don't know what to look for unless you know to look for it. Like my therapist told me, you saw the signs, but you didn't know how to translate them. Unless this conversation is in the general population and you've heard it or you've read the book, like you said, you don't know to be looking for the different things. Or to trust your gut when you feel it. You are like, no, I'm just being sensitive or I'm just thinking too much or I'm just worrying, you know, like everything's fine. It wasn't for me until I listened to that book that I was like, that is a hundred percent what's happening to me. I had clarity. When you're in an abusive relationship, everything is very fuzzy and doesn't make a lot of sense. The whole point is to confuse you, mm-hmm. right? Throw you off your game. If you're your hundred percent and you're on it, you're not going to put up with it. But if you're confused and it's also like the trauma bonding and be mean, 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 and then come here, I love you. Let me make it better. And so it's so confusing. And I think that you don't understand any of that until for me, until I'd listened to this book and I was like, this is what's happening. Okay. Got it. And I think that's the power of educating yourself on what's happening, right? Yeah. Because once you know, you can't unknow that and you can't unsee the patterns that are going on. So true. Yeah. Once I read the book, I was like, no more. I know exactly what's happening. I'm done. It gave me the strength literally to leave that relationship and put enough fear in me that I was aware and careful. And like I said, put cameras up around my house. He'd never touched me. But if you listen to that book, you know, they're not in their right mind because someone that is abusive or wants to emotionally hurt you or tear you down or break you down or make you feel small is not in their right mind. Good people lift each other up, especially someone that you love. Like I gave this person my heart and you're not okay. If you take that and you step on it every single day and see how much hurt and pain you can cause me. So he had never touched me, but he's not okay. Clearly. So I didn't put anything past him after listening to that book. He gives some statistics and they're scary statistics. And I didn't want to end up as one of those people. He was scared of my dog, which helped having Rottweilers. I always recommend always, Um, but I was way more cautious for a while about everything that I did and hold that still to this day. I'm careful and I watch and I have big dogs and I cameras as a woman in general, you just have to be careful. Unfortunately, I have to say this. There was this one thing that I saw on Instagram and it was like, women, if you could do one thing 
to change the world for women, what would it be? And every response was like that I could feel safe walking down the street at night alone, that I could. And it was always things about being vulnerable, like that we could just live a normal life without constantly having to be in fear, no matter what area you live in. As a woman, we're always scared to a certain extent of a man. And it's having to put boundaries around our lives because of that vulnerability. Yeah. Like you put physical boundaries, like you have Literally. cameras, <laughs> but also those emotional boundaries. So you can say the next person, Hey, okay, I've got these boundaries. How do you yeah. deal with boundaries? Because they don't like boundaries, right? <laughs> yeah. You'll find out real quick. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy that you escaped that relationship, Brandy. And you're such a positive inspiration and just this beautiful mouthpiece for this really important message that we just all need to be hearing. Thank you for being so vulnerable with your story and with what you've gone through. You are a light. You are a beautiful light in this world. And I miss you. Come visit me in London. I totally (laughs) want to. I will. I will get my dad where he needs to be. And then I totally. Yes. Well, did and you- I want something to you. Okay. Um, when I was listening to Maya Angelou, she was like, there's a lot of rainbows in my clouds. That's been her message always is there's a lot of rainbows in my clouds and we're all going to have clouds, but look for the rainbows. And for you, we don't wish this had happened, that you'd gone through what you'd gone through. But if it hadn't happened, first of all, I want to say, I'm so proud of you that you went back to school and got your master's. That's amazing. I don't know if you've heard that enough, but holy crap, you're amazing. Congratulations. Just that accomplishment alone is huge. But the fact that you're going to use that now to make a difference in women's lives, if you hadn't gone through what you went through, what would your life look like right now? Would you be in London? No. Would you have your master's degree? No. Would you be filming this? I wouldn't have my puppy either. (laughs) You wouldn't have your puppy. That's the rainbow, right? You had to go through what you had to go through to recognize yourself and what you were capable of. Because sometimes we're just floating through life and it's easy and we don't know what we're capable of and who we actually are. And now you know, you know who you are and you know what you're here to do. Did you have that direction before? As your friend, I'm going to say, no, you were talented and wonderful and loving and kind, but where to harness all of that and share it? No. And now you do. So I think that's so amazing that you've used what you've been through to know you and share you and make a difference in people's lives. I think it's amazing. Thank you, Brandy. Oh, <laughs> so true. So true. That means so much. It really does. It really good. Does. You should be very proud of yourself and keep going. The work is so important. You changed my life before you even got on this journey, just from your own experiences. I don't know what would have been different with my life had I not actually listened to that book. And it made me and you closer. I know that. So it's such important work. Every single life matters. And even if you just touch one person, it matters. So 
keep going, keep doing it, do it big. That's your gift. That's what you're given. Oh, thank you, Brandy. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. I'm really oh, proud. Thank you. That means yeah. so much. Yeah. It's awesome. In any way that I can help, I want to. It's very important. Well, just this session has been amazing because it's so, I don't want to say fresh for you, but it's perfect because you just went through it and you've been healing from it these last couple of years. And so you're in a perfect place to talk about it and to bring awareness about it. And I got out. (laughs) I survived. I got out. Yeah. I think I'll have many more learning lessons. I think that there will be many things in my life, but every single thing that I go through again, I'm like, Oh, that's who I am. My dad just getting sick right now. And everything that has happened with that. Honestly, when I went through what I went through with Myrick, I was like, I didn't think that I could be any more resilient because you have to be right to make it through that. And then I went through the abusive relationship and I thought, okay, that's it. And I'm learning now. That's not Unfortunately, there will be many things, many hardships, many defeats, but I won't be defeated. Like Maya Angelou says, I won't be defeated. I will go through the defeats with courage and do my very best. But I did not think that I was capable of going through what I just went through in the last two months with my dad, being sick and surgery after surgery and spending every single night in the hospital with him. I became his nurse and I'm like, I'm an artist. I'm a creator. That would be like the last profession I would ever choose would be a nurse. Cause I don't like blood or bodily fluids of any form or seeing people in pain. I'm too sensitive. And I became a nurse for the last two months and I blew myself away with what I was able to endure the last two months of my life and how I was able to care for my dad and how I showed up for him and was strong. I went through the death of my fiance and in a lot of ways, this was harder because there was finality. There was a phone call. I had no choice, but to heal. I was fighting every single day to keep my dad alive. And that was by far harder because It was a constant fight. Even when sometimes I could feel like he didn't want to fight. Mm. It's like, no, damn it. Not time. All that to say, I'm learning. And there's been bumps in the road that have been challenging. Like I've lost some friends in the last couple of years that I thought were really just, and they just weren't. There's always going to be bumps in the road. But I think honestly, the biggest thing for me, if there's one thing that I would say keeps me happy or keeps me where I'm continually going is gratitude is the biggest thing. Because when Myrick passed away, I could be sad because I lost him or I could be grateful that I experienced love like that. If you watched my engagement video, I'm a lucky girl. And going through what I went through with my dad for the last two months, I am lucky that I got to be the one that stayed by his side for two months, that I have a dad still, when I know so many people that don't, that never did, that have lost their dad, that I get a second chance. I think the most important thing to maintaining happiness is just gratitude, even for the things that seem dark, they're not. Yeah, my dad was sick, but I have a dad. I have more time that I have someone to fight for. And that relationship, that abusive relationship, that I made it out, that I can 
see things from a different perspective now because I was a little bit judgmental and I was humbled in going through one myself, you know? So everything has a rainbow. That's beautiful. The gratitude is huge. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Songwriting is a great tool, but the gratitude as we're going from that journey, right? From our trauma on that road to triumph. Yeah. That's the thing that enables you to see the rainbows, right? Yeah. They're there if we can just get our heads out of our bums for a minute. And <laughs> do they say bum in, <laughs> in the UK? Yeah, they say bum. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know where that came from, but yeah. <laughs> the rainbows are always there if we are willing to look at them. And I can say that going through everything that I've gone through. And if I can still see the rainbows, everybody can see the rainbows. Absolutely. And it shines a light on your resilience too, right? Because like you said, you've been through so much and you just keep getting stronger. And it's not like you're never going to have bad days or horrible things come into your life, but you're a resilient woman. Oh, I'm so lucky to know you, Brandy. Oh, ditto. The Maya Angelou thing that I listened to, I just went through this with my dad. He's been home almost a month. And when she said, you're going to go through defeats, but you won't be defeated. And sometimes you have to go through those defeats to know who you really are. And I was like, I thought I knew who I really was right before this stuff with my dad. But now I've discovered a completely new part of myself this month that I didn't know existed until I had to face really hard things. I was literally his nurse. I knew how to work every machine in that hospital room. I stayed up every night and would check his numbers every hour and learn to check his blood pressure. I've never been so detailed or cared about anything so much in my whole entire life. And it taught me, wow, there's another side of myself that I didn't know existed until it had to exist, right? And I could have gone home. I could have given up. Absolutely not. No way. There's nothing more worth it to me on the planet than my mom and dad. Come visit me. I can't wait to see you all. <laughs> I know. I totally want to. Yeah. We will talk. Let's make okay. it happen. Yeah. Summer we talked about for your birthday. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited. Brandy, yeah. thank you so much for this interview. And You're is welcome. there a place we can find you, like find your music, find your work that you're doing. Where can we follow you? I know there's the socials. You're on social is Brandy McLaren. Yeah. Gosh, honestly. Yeah. Brandy McLaren is my Facebook. My world is so upside down right now. I just took my exam for my real estate license and I passed. So I'm going to be a real estate agent, which is exciting. You know me, I do photography. I do music. I do some personal training. I have a session later acting. So I don't really know what my work is. I think that after going through this with my dad, I'm at a place where for the first time since Myrick passed away, I'm just done hiding. I'm going to just give it to God and ask him, what do you want from my life? Show me and I will do it faithfully. But if people want to find my photography or my music, Brandy McLaren, B-R-A-N-D-I McLaren and Caligo is the duo that I'm in. We're going to be releasing a song a month coming up and working on a new record. going to be putting out another music video soon. Everything's been on hold since my dad, but I'm ready to jump back into all of that. So Caligo, C-A-L-I-G-O music on all the platforms. I'm ready to just make a difference and go where God wants me to go. You're ready to live out loud with that amazing voice, your story 
as far as that voice, your wisdom, as far as that voice, but your beautiful singing voice as well. So definitely go give Caligo a listen and hear how beautiful Brandy's voice is. You're so sweet. You know, that took me forever and ever to sing. So (laughs) you were a huge part of that as well. I was like, I can't do it. You was like, yes, you pushed me and you encouraged me. And that was really needed for me. So thank you. You are such an encourager and you lift people up. Oh, thank you. You are as well. And I know whoever listens to this is going to be hugely encouraged. So thank you so much for giving of yourself and your time and your message and your vulnerability and your story. It just means so much. Oh, thank you, Brandy. I love you too. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on. I thank you. Love you, babe. You too. Bye.